3.25. More movement in the camp. The guard was drawing water from the barrels strapped onto one of the trucks. For washing, thought Josh. That meant they'd be leaving soon. There isn't much longer left, he snapped into the phone. Relax, said Bruton. The missiles are airborne and the chopper's on the way. Get ready to evacuate. Josh started pacing, walking around in smaller and smaller circles. Did you hear something? He whispered towards Ashvak. The Afghan nodded. The starter motor. The white truck. It's leaving. Josh saw a man climb into the passenger side, another into the driver's chair. The engine fired and the truck started to move down the mountainside. The bastard's escaping, thought Josh. Behind him, he could hear the distant drone of the tomahawk. In the next instant, a blinding flash lit up the sky as the deadly pack of cluster bombs built into its nose showered the camp like confetti with a rain of fire. Josh's eyes were on the white truck, still disappearing through the single-track road that led away from the valley. Above him, he could hear the roar of helicopter blades as the machine dropped out of the sky. The Black Hawk hovered a few feet above the ground. A soldier was leaning out, waving him on board. Josh looked towards the disappearing truck. A trail of dust had been kicked up as it turned the corner and vanished from view. Just as I thought, the bastards escaped. Hey, it's Osama, shouted a man from across the room. Josh smiled. Peter Boschel, one of five regiment men stationed at coast, was sitting with a group of tough-looking American marines, their heads shaved, their tattoos bright on their biceps. Josh walked across to the bar. What's happening? World War Free, by the looks of it, said Boschel. The television was tuned to Fox News, and the dozen soldiers sitting around the mess were gripped by what they were watching. The most dramatic day in the war on terror since 9-11, said the newsreader. In a day of mayhem already dubbed the Three Cities Attack, power supplies were today switched off in three of the world's major cities, London, Paris, and New York. Christ, thought Josh, what's happened now? The day's events started in Paris, at noon precisely local time. Power systems throughout the city shut down, leaving millions of people stranded. One hour later, at noon local time, the power went out in London, closing the city completely. Troops were deployed around Whitehall and Parliament Square as speculation grew of a major terrorist incident. Then, precisely six hours later, again at noon local time, the power shut down in New York. Mayor Bloomberg was appealing for calm as panic-stricken New Yorkers feared another devastating strike on their city. Already people are speculating that the three cities' attack must be the work of Al-Qaeda terrorists. If so, it would be the most audacious coup by the organization since 9-11. A young signaler appeared at Josh's elbow. Bruton wants to see you. Bruton was a tall man with close-cropped dark hair. In the six months he'd been under his command, Josh hadn't warmed to him. There were plenty of Ruperts who made stupid decisions, but few of them could do it as consistently as Bruton. Good to see you again, said Bruton. And congratulations. We'll do a full debrief in the morning. But the good news is that the strike was a success. Azim's dead. The boys back in Vauxhall are going to be pleased with that one. Josh looked at him. Azim's not dead, sir. But the tomahawk went into the precise location you gave us. 
A drone flew over and took pictures. Everything in that camp was burnt to a cinder. There was a white truck, said Josh. It left the camp a few minutes before the missile came in. I believe Azim was in it. He escaped. Bruton stood up. When I say a man's dead, Harding, he's dead. And he stays dead. Got it? Josh got up. Then we'll just have to wait until the bugger comes back with a different name. And then we'll kill him again. Monday, June the 1st, morning. Josh tried to open his eyes, but the skin on his lids felt heavy and unyielding. An intense pain ran from the side of his neck deep down into his spine. Another pain was rippling up from his calf. His left eye sprang open first, a flash of light flooding his senses as a fierce sun shone into his face. He closed the eye quickly, then opened it again. A woman. A bright lock of red hair. Josh closed the eye. Where the hell am I? He opened both eyes. The woman was leaning over him. She was maybe thirty, her skin tanned and freckly. Her eyes were bright blue, shaped like almonds. But it was the hair that captured Josh's attention. A thick red wave of curls tumbled playfully across him. He tried to speak. A finger came to rest on his lips, thin and elegant. Don't, she said. You're hurt. The jabbing in his neck was growing worse, and his leg was feeling numb. He turned on his shoulders. He was lying in a ditch of baked mud. Ahead he could see a thin strip of tarmac. In the distance some dust was rising from a ridge. Otherwise, the place was completely empty. Where am I? Josh started to run a hand across his body, taking a rough reckoning of the extent of his wounds. He'd been shot in the neck, he guessed. There was a gaping flesh wound. The calf of his left leg had taken a hit as well. A pint of blood, maybe two, had been spilled. What in the name of Christ happened to me here? You need treatment, said the woman. Josh let her arms slip around his waist to help support him. He struggled to his feet. As he started to move, his left leg, where the bullet had struck, was screaming with pain. He stepped forward. About ten yards ahead, he could see a black Ford Ranger, at least five years old, a thick layer of mud and dust coating its wheels. Careful, said the woman, steering him to the left. Josh looked down. At his feet, there was a corpse. It was a boy, no more than fifteen. Lying face down in the dirt, he had thick black hair and was wearing black jeans and a huge pair of Nike trainers. One bullet had torn into the center of his neck. Another had ripped into his skull. Josh hobbled forward. The door of the pickup was open. He levered himself onto the battered cloth seats. The woman handed him a bottle of water. Try to drink something. She slotted the key into the ignition, and the ranger roared into life. Josh closed his eyes. His brain was still fuzzy, but he could feel the truck vibrating as it kicked past the stones on the single-track road and started to pick up speed. The sound was vicious and sharp. Metal digging into metal. Josh opened his eyes with a start, instantly recognizing what he'd just heard. A bullet. The truck's been hit by a bullet. He looked across at the woman. She was gripping the wheel, swerving the truck as a shot winged its side. Another bullet. 
He looked across. Evade! You have to evade! Be quiet! she screamed. Josh looked back. A bike was on their trail, big and powerful, with chrome handlebars that sparkled in the sun. Of the man, he could see nothing. He was wrapped in black leather, a helmet covering the top half of his face. His left hand was gripping the handlebars. In his right, there was a pistol. You got a gun? said Josh. She shook her head. Then I'm driving, he snapped. She shook her head again, more fiercely. The truck swerved. Another bullet had smashed into its back. Josh moved swiftly across the front seat, pushing the woman with his open palm, taking hold of the wheel. He left traces of blood across the front of her T-shirt. Okay, she said. Drive if you have to. Josh eased himself into the driver's seat, the truck swerving violently as he took command of the wheel. Dazzling sunlight was searing through the high window of the ranger. Josh flipped the sunshield down. From a glance in the mirror, he could see the bike tracking him ten yards to his rear. The driver's left hand raised as he prepared the next shot. He started to sway the truck from side to side, producing an unpredictable irregular motion, the first rule of evasive action. Another shot. The bullet shattered the window at the back of the ranger. Glass cascaded across Josh and the woman like confetti. You're not a bad shot, pal. His tactics weren't hard to figure out. The bike had more than enough power to accelerate past the ranger if he wanted to, but he was holding his position a steady ten yards behind, taking shot after shot. Sooner or later, he was going to get lucky and land one right into Josh's brain. Josh jammed his foot hard on the accelerator. There was plenty of power in the 3.2-liter engine, and Josh could feel the truck surging forward. He was up to a hundred, skidding across the hot tarmac.